Welcome to the Highland Church Podcast. Thanks for joining us today. On today's episode, Eric Gentry will be joined by Highland member Beverly Midget. Beverly is a longtime Highland member and wife to Highland elder Jerry Midget. We sat down with Beverly a few weeks ago, and what she shared with us was so encouraging that we wanted the whole church to hear it. For the past few years, Beverly has battled cancer, and she has such an amazing spirit. You will hear her talk about the importance of worship, family, and how her faith helps while facing death. We will start by hearing Beverly talk about worship, and then Eric will guide the rest of the episode. Well, I'm Beverly Midget, and I'm married to Jerry, who's an elder at Highland, and have uh, three children and two great sons-in-law and a daughter-in-law. My grown grandchildren, I just can't say enough about the relationship that I have with them. I cherish, I cherish that so much. It's just great. And the little ones, I just love their innocence and their sweetness. And my great-grandbaby as well. So I'm just very fortunate to have these children to love on and uh, just love being at Highland with our church family. About my health issues, I was diagnosed with cancer uh, about three and a half years ago, and it was, it was not a traumatic experience. It was just, I mean, I, had, I was, had lived a full life and had so many blessings and had experienced so many things already, and, and I knew that we had modern technology medicines and great doctors to care for me so uh, and we went through all that but then in the last year the chemo was not working as well and in December of um, last year we had to make the choice to stop all treatment because it was not working and they there was no other alternative for me but the doctor thought that I might have a year or 18 months to live, and that sounded great to me. And then in March, this past March, uh, March 20th, we had I had my last scan, and the doctor was really amazed at how fast it had progressed. And, uh, and he thought I might just have uh, about three months to live. Well, that was in March, and I'm doing well, and I'm thankful for every, every morning when I wake up, I'm thankful that I can breathe <laughs> and, uh, and just want to enjoy the day thoroughly and all of my friends and my family and my church. Coming to church on Sunday has, is very important to me. I mean, what is not to love about our church? We drive into the parking lot, and I see all these cars there and all these cars coming in and it just makes my heart so happy they're all coming together to worship and so it's just so wonderful to know that that they're all coming there for one purpose to to worship god and to learn about god and so that's just important to me and with my illness you know we talk about things we might like to do, little trips we might like to take. But my first question is, I want to be back here for Sunday, because I don't know how many Sundays I'll get to do that. And 
Oh, Sundays are, our worship is just, um, just wonderful. I love the singing. I feel so, at times, so inadequate to express my praise to God. But look, we're singing, and, and we can do that with our songs, and it makes it easy to say the words to God to express our appreciation. I love seeing the children sing, the teenagers singing, and, and of course the women, and then something about seeing men, sometimes these big burly men singing songs of praise to God. It just makes me so happy. I just can't even express my appreciation to all these ladies at church who have been so helpful to me, so willing to help me and to help others, not just me. It reminds me of the scripture in Ecclesiastes that says that uh, two are better than one, and um, if one falls down, the other one can help him up, but pity the person that doesn't have anyone to help him up. And we have that at church. I could call on any one of my friends there, and they would be here to help me at a moment's notice. And you asked me about, about, about coming to church when maybe I don't feel well, and I do, do try to time my meds so that I can feel well and be there, because it's, it's just very important to me to be there. And just to know that this is my church family and I love being with them. Don't you want to come to church like that? Driving in the parking lot, seeing all these cars and being encouraged because here's all these people I love who are come to worship the Lord and to build each other up. Don't you want to come to church and watch big burly men sing? Don't, don't you want that? Amen to that. It was a real privilege a couple of weeks ago, Russ, our media minister, and I sat down with Miss Beverly and had a conversation and one of the reasons I wanted to talk to Miss Beverly was because I knew how important church was to her. And I, I knew, in fact, that she gets up really early on Sunday morning to, to take her meds early so that she can feel well enough to, to come to church in the season. And that was just a powerful example to me. I knew how much she cared about worship. She sent Brescia in a little note about what worship has meant to her recently. And so I knew how important these things were to her, and I wanted to to talk about that. And I also want to talk to her about some other stuff. And we ended up having this wonderful conversation. And afterwards, Russ and I had, had no clue how to do it, but knew we had to share it with y'all. Okay. And so I'm thankful to Russ for, for putting all this together so that you could see what Miss Beverly said. I didn't know how all the pieces came together, but I was just praying over this. And I came as we we're continuing in Acts. I came to Acts chapter 16, and there's this other woman of God in Acts 16, much like Miss Beverly. And in reading her story, the pieces started to come together for me. Acts 16 takes place in Philippi. Paul and Silas arrive in Philippi. And you're going to know Philippi because that's the place where the letter of Philippians was written to Philippi. And so Paul comes there before there's a church, and there is under this little shade tree, this little group of women who are worshiping. And among them is this woman named Lydia. Let's pick up the story. This is Acts 16, starting in verse 13. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. And we sat down, we began to speak to the women who had gathered there. And, and one of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia. She's a dealer in purple cloth. 
She was a worshiper of God. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. So it's through worship the Lord gives her the gift of faith. And when she and the members of her household were baptized, she then invited us to her home. She said, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, well, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. If you fast forward to the end of Acts 16, um, right after this, Paul and Silas are arrested and then they are dramatically freed. And that's a long story. We'll come to that in a couple of weeks. But when they get out of jail, you know where they go first? Lydia's house, where at this time the whole church is gathered. Apparently her home becomes the church in Philippi. So I was looking at this passage and you got these, these things floating around here that all seem tied together. First off, she's a worshiper of God. I mean, how would you like to be known as, oh, Eric, he's a, that guy's a worshiper of God. Or Sean, or Bill, or Sue. Oh, they're a worshiper of God. I mean, she's such a worshiper of God that although she's a Gentile on the outside of the Jewish community, she has come outside on the Sabbath to listen to these Jewish women worship and join them. She is the kind of woman who, if she was ill, would time her medicine to be at church. She would be there. She's not gonna miss worship. And it's through that worship, like I mentioned, that she's given this gift of unbelievable, steadfast faith. The kind of faith that sustains you when something is very hard in life. So you've got worship, you've got faith, and then you've got that piece about her family. Her whole family believes and is baptized. Why? Because they see this beautiful faith of their mom and they want it for themselves. You know, this isn't like the modern kid who, I want to go to church somewhere else. I don't want to go where my, my parents are. And I've got, to, I've got to find my own way. And no, these kids want what their mom has. It is so beautiful. They want it. And then immediately you got worship, faith, family, and then there's hospitality. She's like, y'all come on over. I got a casserole in the oven. Why don't you just stay a while? Just come to my house. She has them into her home. And then by the end of the chapter, her home, this woman of hospitality has become home base, the church building, home base for the church by the end of the chapter. So you got these five things floating around here. You got worship, faith, family, hospitality, and church. I was at Camp Highland a few weeks ago and uh, we had a down moment and there's not a lot of those at Camp Highland. But a couple of the counselors were sitting around talking and I do not remember how the conversation came to this, but I vividly remember one of the moms in that conversation, she said, y'all know what? I sit behind the midyets every week I sit behind Miss Beverly Midyet, and this mom, she has three kids of her own, and she says, I look at this family, and she's got all three kids, she's got their spouses, they've got their grandkids there, and now their great-grandkid there, and it just seems like, I'm sure they have their problems, it just seems like, though, they love each other, and they all love God, and I want to ask her, how did you do that? She said, I just want to tap Miss Beverly on the shoulder and say, what's the secret sauce? And I said, you know what? I just asked her that because I wanted to know the same thing. And she talked to us about it. And I think what you'll see is the ingredients are not that different from the ingredients in Lydia's home. Let's check this out. I just cannot say enough about my family. They love God 
and they love each other, and they really like each other. Mm. We enjoy being together, and uh, about the growing up as ch children. Jerry and I were not great at parenting. I know we didn't do things right at times, but I think all along, in, 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 in the end, I think our children knew, knew what was the most important goal in our life as a family that we wanted to follow God and and serve His will. And doing that, we had that we were always made sure that we had our children in church and that we were in church. We went to Bible seminaries. We had Bible studies with non-Christians in our home. And then we had not new Christians in our home regularly, weekly and regularly for meals, or just to hang out. And our children saw the excitement of these new Christians. And uh, so I know it influenced them. They may not have realized it then, but they do realize it now. And so we had people in our home a lot, and, and our children saw this and saw the need that some of them had and, and the others, how, what a good influence they were on our children. And so I think that I really think that um, even though it was inconvenient at times for them and for us, but I think they saw that um, this was a good thing, It really, and it did influence them. It was not just Jerry and me raising our children. The church helped raise the children. The Sunday school teachers, there were Sunday school teachers there that helped us. Betty Cannon, who we know, and um, um, Barry Mitchell's mom, and then there were the VBS workers that volunteered their time there. They helped raise our children. Alice Jackson was always a part of that. And then, of course, the church, the whole church. And our friends, our friends loved our children and helped us raise our children. So, it's, so thankfully, it wasn't just Jerry and me trying to raise these kids. And so we had lots of help. I think the most important thing that you can do for your kids, even though you're exhausted, <laughs> I realize that at times, but uh, to know, for them to know what's important to you, for them to see you trying to, uh, to live a godly life, stay close to God. And again, surround themselves with people that will help them grow spiritually. I, we just pray that our kids will always love God and love each other. And I think that uh, they need to realize that they need each other. The secret sauce. There it is. That church in Philippi one day gets a letter. And uh, the address on the letter is probably Lydia's address. It probably comes to her mailbox. Probably one of her kids that runs out to the mailbox and brings in this letter. And Paul's name is on the outside of the letter. And I can't imagine how filled with relief and joy they were to get a note from Paul. Because years before, he had been in prison in Philippi. And they remember this really clearly. And he got busted out of prison and freed really dramatically from prison. And they know he's in prison again. And he's not getting out this time. At least not yet. And we know they were worried about him. They send Epaphroditus to check on him. They're so worried about him. 
And they get this letter back from him, and you can just imagine it fills him with all kinds of relief. He's doing okay. He's doing okay. This guy who shared the gospel with us first, he's doing okay. And the letter's this beautiful letter, the letter of Philippians. It's about the church. It's about joy and love. And Philippians 2, this calling to be like Christ, and, and you'll remember that. But among other things, it's also about dying. Paul says this right at the beginning of the letter, Philippians 1.20. He says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but I will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. And I imagine when they heard that word, the oxygen just got sucked from the room. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me, yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is better by far. And you know they must have thought to themselves, how can death be better by far? How can death be gain? You know, there's, there's many who would say that at church we don't talk about death enough. You know, there was a time when pretty much every church building was surrounded by a cemetery. Maybe you've experienced this if you visited the Northeast or if you visited Europe. To come to church, to walk to church, was to walk through and be reminded of death. In fact, there's a friend of mine here who wants to turn our front lot out there into a cemetery. And I told him, that's great. It's going to make kickball a lot harder out there. The slip and slide, bumpier. Uh, but the reason we don't talk about death enough is because death is hard to talk about. And Paul, Paul, this one who desires to go and be with Christ, says he's torn because it's hard. What's hard about it? People. That's what's hard. It's not hard to leave a home, a job, money. What's hard to leave are those people. And when I called Miss Beverly and said I wanted to talk to her about faith and worship and family, then I kind of the words got stuck in my throat and I almost couldn't say it. I want to talk to you about dying. And she admitted, it's hard. There are things about this season that are very hard and mostly that's the people, just like Paul. And we thought about taking that out of the video, but I want you to see honestly that even for Christians, death is still hard. But what I think is so important for us, and we don't do this enough, is to hear from someone who is facing death with faith anyways. Who is staring headlong into the difficulty of it and yet is filled with the greatest joy. And I want you to hear why. Let's watch this. Well, I know that um, I'll be facing death in the near future, all likely. And, um, but, you know, this is something that everyone is going to face. Everyone is going to be facing death. And, uh, and it is hard for us to talk about. It's hard for us to think about. When I think about it, I, I can't help but think how... Um, fortunate I am to have had the, the life that I've had because we have God. And God did the ultimate, ultimate sacrifice to sacrifice His Son 
to that so that we could be with him. And that is so comforting. When the doctor told me in March that I might just have about three months to live, well, my mind just started turning. I had a mission. I thought, I've got to get everything in order. I've got to get my closets all cleaned out. I've got to get things out of the way that the kids won't have to deal with. And, and I was just on a mission. And I was really enjoying that mission, getting things. And then I think it, God just put it on my heart that this is, this is not it. I've got it wrong. People. People are what's important. And I just knew that I had to spend time with my friends. I had to I had to be at worship as much as I could. And I had to just be with my family as much as I could and just take advantage of all the good things that I have in this life. And I can't even imagine as good as my life has been that that it's going to be even greater. And I mentioned our worship service it's at church. I wish it could just be twice as long. Well, we'll have this in heaven forever. And I can't imagine how it works, how we could all know each other or, or how all, all of us could be there. I just know it's going to be great. And I know it's going to be wonderful. Well, I be speechless or will I want to just praise him? I don't know. And would I just want to stand back and watch and just listen and just to see him? I can't imagine just meeting Jesus. The hardest part when I think about death and my passing, the hardest part for me is knowing that it's going to be hard for my children. It's going to be hard for Jerry. And we talk about that. We talk about what life and will be like without each other, Jerry and I do. And, um, and we laugh about things that, um, that he will be doing that I used to do, maybe like doing the laundry, paying the bills, <laughs> learning to operate the dishwasher, and, and working in the yard. He said now he'll tell me that I, he'll always try to do it like I wanted it done. And so we've had, we've had just some really good conversations about what it will be like. And, and, but that is the hard part. And it's hard for me to think about Jerry being without me. It's, it's hard for me to think about my children that call me every day. And they'll call and ask my opinion when I know, I know that they know better what to do than to ask me, but they ask me and I appreciate that. So it, it is hard for me. That's the hardest part of my situation is knowing that um, my children will miss me, my Jerry will miss me, and, and, I, and my friends will miss me. I think about death and, and in a way it's scary because I don't know exactly how that's going to be, but I think what it's going to be like. And um, I think because I'm human, I just can't imagine what, what it's eternal life is going to be with God. And I remember a sermon about what happens next.
And you, you had a card available for us to pick up in the back if we wanted it. And it says, what happens next? The resurrection of Jesus offers us great hope in the face of death. And I do have that hope. And because he lives, those will who belong to him will be with him. And then you said, but what can we know about life after death? And you gave us all these scriptures to read. And I've read these scriptures, and you could get real excited about death, you know. So I am um, just so grateful for what we have. Death for a Christian is just so different for if you don't know God. And so I'm just grateful, grateful for the opportunity to, to be able to face this death. I'm very content. It is well, it is well with my soul. I believe that with all my heart and I am very content with this. It is so special to be part of the body of Christ where we are built up by those who bear witness to faith, right? And so I wanna thank Miss Beverly for bearing witness to us this morning. Would you join me in thanking Miss Beverly? Paul summarizes the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he does so in 1 Corinthians. He says, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you have received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. This is it, that Christ died for our sins. It is so striking to me that that word that is so hard for us to talk about is the second word of the gospel. Christ died. For who? For us. And his death changes our dying. One preacher I love says it like this. What this verse means is that either he dies for us or we die forever. But he has died for us. And so it's true what Paul says, that our dying is gain. That for us to die is not death, it is more life. It's more life. And so young people today, what I want to encourage you in is, like you see in Miss Beverly, cast yourself fully, trust yourself fully to the Lord, who has died for you that you might live forever. That is our hope. And in that hope, we face the hardest things in this life. Let me pray over us this morning. God, I give you great thanks, great thanks for the testimony of Miss Beverly. She didn't want to do this. She didn't want to be the center of attention. I know that. And yet it is so strengthening to your body to see your servants face this death with hope and faith. May we all do the same, God. May we cast ourselves fully upon Jesus Christ, who died that we might live. 
And we pray in the great confidence and hope we have in his name.